Well, it's my pleasure this morning to introduce uh, a very special man in my life. Uh, you know, at uh, the church I came from, Grace Community Church, uh, obviously we have a pastor by the name of John MacArthur who has been preaching as of this year, 50 years. And it's an amazing testimony. He has uh, had the most impact on me theologically. Um, but amongst all the pastors and elders at Grace Church, and there are many, um, the second person who's been there the longest is the man who's going to be teaching us this morning, and that's Bill Shannon. Um, as of this morning, he has served at, uh, as of this year, he has served at Grace Church 30 years. Is that right? Yeah, 30 years. And I can tell you that uh, for me, Alice and I were approaching our 10-year anniversary this year. In August, um, we'll have been married 10 years, but it was Bill who provided us the premarital counseling. It was Bill who married us. And it was Bill, about eight months after we were married, we came in for post-marital counseling session, um, that we sat down with Bill and I mentioned to Bill my desire to do ministry. And he said, you know what, why don't you go ahead and um, enroll into seminary? And uh, my wife was sitting there just dumbfounded, <laughs> knowing that we had just gone in there for a post-marital counseling session. And here it was, our, uh, our own pastor was telling me to go ahead and enroll in seminary and to, to get training. Uh, but I can say that since then, he has been a marvelous uh, blessing in my life. He has um, been to me, not only my pastor, but also a spiritual father, uh, a mentor, and uh, a very beloved friend. Uh, he has been there to support me, to encourage me, and, and a lot of the opportunities that I've had to preach and teach, even to travel overseas, has come because of this man. Of all the people at Grace Community Church, and we have a lot of good and godly men there, too, to learn from, um, there is no one that I've considered to be um, a better example of what it means to be a shepherd um, than this man who will be speaking here. Um, so I would welcome you all to give him just a warm welcome this morning as we bring Bill Shannon up here to share the word with us. Well, I now know uh, who to choose for my eulogy. So what a great privilege this is. As uh, Eki was going through this process and speaking to me about it and speaking to how the deacons were uh, talking to him about various issues and all of that, I was encouraged uh, to see men that uh, were willing to spend some time and, and work through the whole process. Now, uh, today, uh, you, the deacons, you, the people of this church, chose this man. We're going to, you're going to install him. I may be preaching this message, but you actually are going to take the responsibility for installing this man. I am not taking this responsibility, but I will back him up 100%. You've called this man to be your pastor. You need to make sure that you're people who love your pastor. And we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna to talk about the responsibility of the pastor to the people and the responsibility of the people to the pastor. <laughs> Because I think it's a, it's a two-way street. As I've watched the 30 years that I've been in ministry, it's people who love their pastor and it's the pastor who's loving their people. And it has to be hand in hand. If you want to make a church look different than the world, they have to be joined together. I'm going to be looking at 1 Peter. So if you want to get your Bibles and look at 1 Peter 1, the context of this particular book is persecution. Now, we are not in the midst of persecution yet, as I heard already this morning, but it's coming, folks. It's just a matter of time. 
How much time that is, I don't know, but it's a matter of time. And this is what Peter is telling the folks here in this church. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 22. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says this, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which we preach to you. Therefore, chapter 2. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord, for your word. May it reach into each of our hearts. Uh, this morning is a little different uh, but at the same time, Lord, it is a message for all of us to hear and to live. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, this morning, what we're going to look at are four words. Uh, four words that are going to describe the relationship between the pastor and God's people. The first word is love. We can see that in verse 22. It's very clear. It's very evident. It says, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Friends, before the word of God transformed you, before the word of God transformed your pastor, that was impossible for us to do, to fervently love from the heart. Beloved, before the word of God transformed you, you had conditional love. It was always based on what you were getting for that love. What Peter is speaking of here is that it's, this love is supposed to be unconditional. Your pastor may fail you at times, but I know that you will fail your pastor at times. But you know, it's just like the love that God has for us. We fail him, yet he still loves us, and his loving kindness is always towards us. The kind of love that's spoken of here is the love of God that is, that is given to us at our, our rebirth. The word of God here convicts us of our selfishness. The word of God convicts our sinful hearts that we do not love as Jesus has commanded, but he still commands us to do it anyway. Matthew chapter 22, it says there that we are to love God with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole strength, and to love others. First John, later on, later, tells us in First John 4, it says that if we don't love our brother, it's like we don't love God. So there is a responsibility here that we must have. And so we need to be honest here. There's nothing more difficult than to love those people who are around you. Because you see their faults. You see how they've hurt you. But we are to love our brothers and we are to love our sisters sincerely. Our humanity, our nature, causes us to love ourselves. This is the rule of our heart. We live in an age of meism. Of, of selfies and, and those kinds of things. We always care about ourselves. What do I get? The, the narcissist is rising to the top of the heap. I do not mean to, to step on too many toes here because I want you to love me. But 
most of our love is always because we get an advantage. We love to get an advantage. This is the love of doing to receive. It's not the love of giving to not receive. Friends, you are to love one another because that is what the truth of God's word has called us to do. That gives glory to God. By coming to faith in Christ, you have declared your departure from the world and the way you used to do things to now use, um, to, to not use people, and to misuse people, but to love others. I love what uh, Paul says back in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and, and, and Paul is declaring what God has done for him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the kind of love, the example that we have in Christ. We are to love like Christ's love. We are to give up ourselves for others. In a sense, Jesus gives and, and he gives and he gives and he receives little in return. His children are, are down here and, and often are bickering and fighting and complaining and sniveling. We, we see that so often. Peter says, love one another fervently. Love one another sincerely. This church, I believe, was established in 1947. It represents the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This sacrificial love is to be exemplified here. People in the world need to be seeing something different here, that the church is loving their pastor and the pastor is loving their church. At your salvation, your mind and, and your heart was regenerated. You were once dirty, but now you've been made clean. Your souls were purified as if they had been taken to the cleaners and, and even cleaner than the cleaners. When you come into, that, into this personal abiding relationship with the living God, you are made holy positionally and called to be made holy practically. It says in verse 22, in obedience to the truth. It is the word of God and only the true truth that saves. The truth of the gospel, which is the power unto salvation, now gives us an enablement to love our brothers, to love our pastor, to love our people fervently and sincerely from the heart. I can remember the times that I've asked my dear friend to go counsel some people, some people who were unlovable. I mean, they were not good friends. They were difficult people, and I'd ask him and he'd love them. He loved them sincerely and spend an awful lot of time with them. That doesn't mean you line up now and get an awful lot of time out of him. But just realize he will pour his life into you. Pour your life into him. That's necessary. <clears throat> First Thessalonians 1.5 says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It's just a reminder that the power that we have to live out this Christian life comes from the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. Peter is calling you to do something that only God can do through you, and that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just so there is no confusion, your obedience to the truth is not what purifies your soul. It is God that purifies your soul and then gives you the ability now to love one another. Another note to make here, as we read through verse 22, if you go back to verse 22, we see that the word love is used twice here in the English. P 
Peter says sincere love, and then he says fervently love. This happens to be two different words in the Greek language. Sincere love of the brethren is, is Philadelphia. We get that brotherly love there where we love our brothers and we love our sisters. It's a, a righteous behavior towards others that defines this kind of love. The fervent love there, though, is a different word. It's the word agape. Agape is the kind of word that was used back there in Galatians 2.20. It's a love of giving. It's a love of, of not an emotion, but it's a love of giving beyond the emotion. It is a love from the mind and from the heart. It's a choice that we make. This is a love that is displayed through sacrifice and loving kindness towards others. Peter calls this first century church to love a different way. Not, not just brotherly love, but to love more within more intensity. That's the way we need to love. And folks, I got to tell you, as we get closer and closer to the persecution, we're going to need to love that kind of way. Fervently gives the idea that the, this love goes the extra mile. It reaches, reaches towards the perfect love of Christ. This kind of love does not come out of a vacuum, though. There is a need and necessity of walking in the spirit to produce this kind of fruit in one's life. Peter mentions that this love is from the heart. The most fragile of human realities is the weakness of the heart. Sensitive, often crushed, but especially in need of change. Because that's what God always tells us to change and to look after is our heart. Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence. We are to be diligent about watching over it. For from it flow the springs of life. It's easily crushed. But it's something that is to be changed upon our salvation. I love what Ezekiel says about the heart. And it says in Ezekiel 36, 26. You don't need to turn there. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This new heart is the heart that is going to be able to love differently. This new heart, because of the work of God and of Christ Jesus, will change a person. Friends, Peter here has this in mind. When he says in the first century, believer and all believers have purified souls and they can now sincerely and fervently love one another from the heart. This only happens when you have truly received a new heart. See, that's the question. Sometimes I see all the problems in churches today. I think some of those folks haven't received a new heart. They play church, they attend church, but they really aren't part of the church. And they're the ones that cause the trouble in the church. A sincere and a fervent love for the brethren and a genuine care for others is, is not something that comes naturally, but it comes at the result of being saved. A Christian is marked out by his or, or her love. This is what attracts others to Christ because they see the body of Christ caring sincerely for one another. The pastor is to love God's people, but at the same time, the people of God are to love their pastor. Peter now indicates where this sincere love comes from. Verse 23 tells us where it comes from. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. The first word that we looked at was love. The second word that we're going to look at 
is life. You see, it's only by this new life that has been given to us that we can now have, that we now have in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> As born again believers in the work of Christ, through the word of life, we can now love one another. Peter explains that it is the, the seed of the imperishable word of God that brings this about, this new life. That's the only way a person is saved, is by that word. I want you to know I, I do not claim to know much about seeds. I was born in New York City. We don't plant too many seeds in New York City. Too much concrete. But I do know this about seeds. They go into the ground. Uh, they are prepared. They have some water. And before you know it, there's a plant there. Now, I looked out on some of these fields as I drove in yesterday. And I said, there's a lot more that goes into seed planting than I'm thinking of. But... For you folks, the simple part is this. Peter is talking about the seed of God's word going into the heart. And that is where this person is changed. They now are given a gift of faith. We see that in Ephesians 2.8. You have been given this gift of faith. Once that gift is given some water, it's given some light. Before you know it, you are born again. Born again to what? Live a life that's different than the world. A life that can love and a life that uh, brings new life even beyond it. The gospel is what brings new life, but the word of life has intentions beyond giving life. The text that is here today that we see tells us that God sent forth his word to bring about a love of sacrifice for our brothers and our sisters. The word of God not only gives us life, but at the same time it gives us love. Friends, the full intention of God's word is to save us, to give us this new life. And not just because we then are in the kingdom. No, but it is now that we are to look like we're in the kingdom. To look like that we're different than the rest of the world. That's what's supposed to happen. And that's what happens when you have a church that loves. They look different. Remember many years ago, someone came to our church and we had our um, shepherds conference and they said you know John MacArthur is up from the pul on the pulpit and he's always haranguing people it seems like he's always telling them do this do this do this so you come here and there's so much grace that goes around well what happens is when you are living the word of God it begins to show forth in the grace of God pastor love your flock people love you pastor because that's what God wants you to do because that's what's necessary for this church, this church to grow and for this church to look different than others. Friends, only if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can you love the way Peter is exhorting you to love, like these first century saints here. Frankly, only if you know Jesus Christ today can you love like this. The new life in Christ gives the resources and the Holy Spirit to be able to accomplish the tasks of loving others. When you are saved, the seed of God's love is put into your heart. It's implanted into your soul. It is imperishable. When I plant my little seeds in my backyard there to grow some tomatoes, uh, maybe they'll last a season or maybe they'll last two seasons, but that's about it. They're only there for a little while, but the seed of God's word implanted in your heart lasts forever. Folks, all animals and plants are initiated by seeds. That's the same thing that it's saying here. We have this new life produced by God in us. 
Peter closes out verse 23 with this, through the living and enduring word of God. By the preaching and the teaching of God's word, God's people come to salvation. As a matter of fact, they can live out their salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, I exhort you to listen to this new pastor. Make sure he's preaching from the word of God, though. Okay. If he's not, I'll give you my phone number. <clears throat> the pastor, I exhort you to preach the word in season and out. And sometimes, folks, I got to tell you, as a pastor who does a lot of personal counseling, it's sometimes hard to tell people, no, it's not a bad situation. No, it's a bad life that you are leading. And I have to tell them the truth. And it hurts sometimes. They need to hear it. The word is that which saves. That is the word that brings us to glory. The Bible is the infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word of the living God, period. And that's what we need to live by. The word of God is living and active, um, not something that will expire over time. The pastor has a responsibility to deliver that word to God's people. And the people have the responsibility to receive it and do something with it. So often I hear, you know, people listening to the word, but then do nothing about it. They, they don't implant it in their heart. They don't, they don't receive it to change or, or things like that. So how does the truth that Peter is expounding on here help the first century church facing persecution? It tells the first century believer that their faith is built upon the enduring, incorruptible word of God. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. They have been born again of the seed of God, and therefore they are to have the character of God. They are to love even the unlovely at times. So far, we've seen the words love and life. And the third word is limits. The third word is limits. We'll see that there in verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass, and all is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. As this is the word which was preached to you. Flesh is limited. That's why I use this word limits here. Flesh is limited. God is not limited. Peter uses a, an Old Testament a passage here of Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8, 6 and 8. It is quoted in the Septuagint and is very close to the, with minor changes that are attributed mostly to Peter. Isaiah 40 is the turning point in the prophecy of Isaiah, where the chosen people of God are now given hope. And that's basically what, what is given here is, is hope. I'm going to turn back to Isaiah 40 just so you have a, a context for what uh, um, uh, Peter is saying here. But Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 3. It says there, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her welfare has, warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Basically calling them that there's a change here. There's a turn here. And that's what we have in the, the word of God here. When we um, are encouraged by it, we're comforted by it, we get hope from that word. Um, folks, the first century church 
was about to enter into a time of persecution. So Isaiah 40 is, is one of those passages that is being used uh, to encourage them of future deliverance, that eventually they will be delivered. Our flesh has limits as to its ability. It says here, all flesh is like grass. Every human that has ever existed is uh, what Peter is referring to, it's all flesh. In comparing grass and human existence, they are both fragile. Uh, this is a picture of the inconsequentiality and the mortality of man. Both grass and humanity have this in common. Peter includes even the grass that flowers and fades away after a season. This speaks of the transitoriness of life. We go very quickly. Think about it. After two generations, most of us will not be known by anybody else in history. I, I a few years ago, went back and looked at Ancestry.com, and I figured, oh, I'll start to do something on my grandparents, but you know what? I know so little about my grandparents that I couldn't go any further, and, and it was over. I even went back to Ireland and did some uh, ministry there because my grandparents were from Ireland, and I couldn't even find anybody there that was a relative. After two generations, most people are not going to be known into the third generation, not unless you write books. So I'm not writing any books. Um, Psalm 90, I love what uh, the psalmist writes there about the transitoriness of life. <clears throat> and I, I normally use this for a funeral, and we don't have a funeral here this morning. Um, we have an installation, but I want to give you the context of the transitoriness of life. Psalm 90. And it says there, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it has passed by or to watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. Just one day, and it's gone. It's over. Matter of fact, verse 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Because in no time, we're gone. It's over. God's word is eternal. Our flesh is not. Psalm 103 says it this way. Um, as for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind passes over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no more. Friends, this is a reminder that we will not be remembered in two generations. And so, the encouragement here is that if we compare ourselves, we have limits to God. Um, Compared to the grass, the flesh of man is uh, like the grass in the hills of Southern California. Uh, green a few weeks ago, and now it's brown. Getting toastier and toastier day by day. Just getting ready for the fires that are going to happen at the end of the summer and the beginning of the fall. It only lasts for a season. The Word of God, though, on the other hand, is limitless. The Word of God is living and enduring. The picture is that it's going to go on forever. And it goes on in the new birth. Um, it's imperishable, this new, uh, this uh, word of God. The word is intended to last forever. While man's achievements seem to so inconsequential, 
Uh, there uh, are nothing in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. Therefore, pastor, preach the word. Therefore, people make sure he preaches the word. Friends, we are given the word of God through the Holy Spirit. All right, we're in verse 25. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. You know, from the moment that I heard the word, the moment that anybody who has come to faith in Christ knows that it's his word, Peter tells us that the word of God is limitless. It endures forever. The same word that saved you is the same word that has no limits. Here is the paradox. If you insist that you are permanent and important, you become nothing. If you admit that God alone is permanent, then he breathes his permanence into you through his life-giving word and spirit. Notice the contrast between the enduring word of God and the fleeting character of human life. This is the authoritative word of God that speaks to all aspects of our lives here on earth. It is eternal truth. And this is the word which was preached to you. This is the living word of God and saves dead people and brings them to life abundant. Now, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1 there, it says, Therefore, that is there for the reason that Peter is now emphasizing the fact that they are now in Christ Jesus and something radical is to begin. The Christian is to abandon the lusts and desires of, of the flesh. There is to be a regular disposing of former cravings and, and uh, to um, reject those things that plague the mind toward, and, and the mind toward sin. If this is what the word of God does when it is believed and lived. Peter gives a great picture here in, uh, in verse 1. Uh, when he says, putting aside, he says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, putting aside, the picture is of removing or shedding dirty and disgusting clothes. Putting aside means to get rid of. Get this out of your life right now. That's what it is the word of God. That's what it does. It gets rid of these things. Getting rid of these soiled garments as a metaphor, as a picture of taking off and discarding them. James 1.21 says it this way. It says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. That's what the word of God does. In essence, Peter is commanding them to get rid of more subtle sins found in the believer. They are to get rid of these things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander and, and uh, those kinds of things. Not the major sins. He's not speaking of murder here or adultery or homosexuality. There is to be a shedding off of all behavior that is inconsistent with the word of God and, the, and with Christ. These sins destroy the love that Peter has been speaking about here of loving one another sincerely and fervently. Peter is very direct, putting aside all this kind of behavior destroys the fellowship. These are the sins that so easily cling to the believer, but why? The Christian life is a constant reminder of our need for the gospel. We need Jesus's forgiveness each and every day. We need the word of God's reminder each day and need the Holy Spirit's conviction every day. 
Friends, Peter is appealing to the first century church to deal with the sins because they, that when the persecution comes, you cannot have these issues undealt with. These are not the terribly gross sins of paganism that Peter is warning about here. No, these are the, more the, of the kinds of sins that destroy the body of Christ. Things like malice and envy and deceit, those kinds of things. They are so harmful to the body of Christ because they're insidious and they begin to bring about hypocrisy. And hypocrites are people who play a part but whose real motives are concealed. Hypocrites are those within the body of Christ who profess the love of Christ and profess a love for their pastor but do not do it only for their own profit and their own prestige. They are not in the community for the purpose of serving others for the glory of God. Frankly, it is self-deception as well as deception of others. Any action that is not genuine or consistent with what you believe is hypocrisy. Now the third word was limits and now the fourth word. The fourth word that we find here in the text. And um, I had to do a little bit of changing here. The fourth and final word is leche. I hope you don't mind my digging into a different language to come up with that word. But First Peter 2, 2 and 3, it says there, like newborn babes long for the pure milk or the pure leche of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. We have seen love. We've seen life. We've seen limits. Word of God is unlimited. The man of God is limited. The people of God are limited. Now we see leche, milk, long for, can be translated crave. It, this is a strong word. It, it's not just longing for, not wanting something, but it's craving it. It's, it's actually having a hankering for it. I need to have it. I want to have it. The moment we get saved, that is something that begins to happen. To study God's word is, is not labor. It is, uh, in a sense, is to be a delight as you discover more about your God and more about your creator. The picture that Peter is supplying for us is that a, a newborn does not need to be taught how to get milk. Neither should a new believer um, be looking to get milk because they already want that milk. They already desire that milk. Friends, we need God's word, but we also need God's fellowship. We need fellowship with the saints. We need prayer. We need med meditation on the scriptures. We need memorization of the scriptures. We need to have praise. We need to have worship. Once converted, we need all of these things. Like newborn babes, we need to be craving for them, just like the child does for his mother's milk. Like newborn babes that have just entered into the world, they scream for what will nourish and strengthen them. The Greek term for leche or milk is pure and is opposite of the word for deceit found in verse 1. In the leche milk, there is no deceit. There is no deception. There is no duplicity. God wants us to be nourishing our souls and especially when the persecution is coming. That is when souls begin to get weary, to become faint. New believers have a, an urgent hunger for the spiritual things that will flourish and nourish their heart and mind. New creatures in Christ 
have a relentless desire for things that will give them sustenance. That is the word of the living God. Peter uses an, an imperative here for translating this long for, this craving. It's a strong desire. It's longing for the pure uh, spiritual leche, meaning that it is not contaminated, not um, uh, affected in any way. This is not 2% milk, folks. This is the pure, unspotted word of God, of the living God. Your pastor has a responsibility. He has a responsibility to feed you that pure, uh, unblemished word of God. Consequently, consequently, the responsibility is to take it in and to do something with it. To come, listen to the word of God and go home and not even think about it again is not the way we handle the word of God. We hear the word of God. We are transformed by that word. We should be thinking about it in ways that we can change. When you crave the spiritual things like the newborn does, you may grow in respect to salvation is what it says here. Grow in respect to salvation here means progressive sanctification. The heart and the mind are changed by the word of God. And that's what's going to do it. Salvation is salvation from sin. To grow in respect uh, is to put away those former lusts, those former things that used to entangle us and slow us down. We're running a race, and we need to run that race without being encumbered by sin. This salvation is from the power of sin in this life of a believer, and we're supposed to run from that. I love the picture that Joseph gives us when he's in Potiphar's bedroom. He doesn't look back to see if he's far enough away from Potiphar's wife. He just kept running, kept going. Beloved, God uses the means of the proclamation of his word for our spiritual growth primarily. Peter is commanding the first century church here that did not have, have the written word of God to crave an intimacy with God. God is in Christ Jesus sustains our Christian walk. Folks, it is not just about being saved, but about dynamic of intimacy with God is what is to be overwhelming in our heart. There is more of the Lord to be had, always more to be had. Folks, it's a sad thing to see undernourished Christians, and I often have seen them. They are floundering around, trying to get connected, but because they have never made the word, fellowship, and worship a staple, they try to, uh, a little fast food here and there, and it doesn't go down real well because there's too much gluten. Um, verse 3 of First uh, Peter 2 says this, If you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. This is not a, a statement of doubt or conditionality. Once a, this is not a statement of doubt or conditionality. Once a baby tastes the, the milk, the leche of mother, he, she longs for the nourishment. And once the believer tastes of the nourishment of spiritual matters, they long for it. They want more and they want more. Folks, today we've looked at this passage, trying to show how the pastor is to love his people, how the people are to love their pastor, how their life is begun with the new word. And, and that's when this love can begin to happen that there are limits, limits to a man, and that they're unlimited, unlimited in the word of God and the use of the word. And now that we should be craving the, the milk of the word, the leche of the word. Psalm 34, 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Ladies and gentlemen, 
That's what is going to be expected by the preacher is that you take rest in God and God alone. Friends, you have called this choice servant of the Lord. He's not perfect. I want you to know that. Uh, he's a man. He's uh, willing to lay down his life, though, for God's people. And I've seen him do it many times. He's a man willing to serve you. But on the other side, I don't know you. And so I want to exhort you, exhort you to love this man, exhort you to encourage this man by your continuing growth and change in the word of God. That which we've just spoke of here, what, Jay, what the Peter is calling this first century church to do, continue to grow so that by it, he can be encouraged to preach more, uh, that he can be encouraged to, to reach out and to um, serve you even more. Thank you that take this new role uh, that you have been given seriously. Uh, use it to feed God's people. Feed these hungry people because I do see some hungry people out there and not just for tacos. <laughs> I, I know that some of these folks need to be nursed. I know some of these folks need to have the, um, uh, the strength and the power of the word of God in their hearts. I know some of them need to feed on the meat of God's word. And so I encourage you to do both. And so, my friend, using this outline here to love them sincerely and fervently, uh, that the new life would come in them, uh, that uh, you know that you're limited, but the word of God is not limited, and that they need the leche of God's word. Let me pray, and I'm going to call the men up to lay hands on this young man here, this choice servant of God that you've called. Uh, and so... Would uh, the deacons please come on up? And Eki, why don't you come on up? So let's lay hands on him. I'll pray close. Father, what a privilege it is to be here today. Lord God, uh, when you call a man, you call him not only out of the world, uh, you then call him uh, to a specific ministry, a ministry of the Word of God. Uh, what a high calling, what a privileged calling it is. We pray, Lord God, for this dear man that not only would he uh, see the Word as being important to him, but the people are very important because they're the ones that need to be fed. They're the ones who need to hear. They're the ones who need to learn and grow. Lord God, you are ever so special bringing these people here who need uh, a preacher. And so, Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you would um, place them in this church, Lord, not just to be uh, taking up a spot, but, Lord, to bring the word of God to them, to see them grow, to see this fellowship grow, to see your church in this city grow, and that, uh, Lord, you would be blessed by it. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
ask your blessing upon us this day. We thank you for this occasion. Thank you for the message we have just heard. Thank you for your servant. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless our pastor, Aki. Uh, he and his wife, Lord, uh, this is a new ministry, a new place, a new culture. We ask, Lord, that you would get them uh, accustomed to the warm weather that they experience here in the Drill Valley. Lord, that they might uh, come to know you and enjoy it. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would give him uh, an insight into the Word of God so that each Sunday he can present the Word to us that we might be good servants of yours. We ask your blessing upon Pastor Eki, his wife Alice, and upon this church. We praise in Jesus' name. Oh God, our Father, we pray that your blessing be upon Brother Eki. Bless this man, bless his family. We pray that he encourage our hearts, that he unite us in love. We pray that he leads us in your truth, oh God. We pray that you give him wisdom, give him courage, give him discernment, give him discipline to stand for you, God to lead us as you call them to. We pray for us, this congregation, that we be good servants, that we also encourage him, that we edify him, that we hold him accountable. God, I pray that you give us wisdom to search the scriptures, to check him, to hold him accountable to you, O oh God, for his own good and for your glory. We pray that your spirit bless this congregation, we pray that your son be glorified. We pray that your truth be magnified and stand for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Pastor Eki and Alice here. We thank you, Father, for answering our prayers that we've been praying for the last two years to show us the right person. And we've had him ready all along and just to either wait, wait on you, Lord. That everything comes to be. We thank you for the message you heard today. We pray, Lord, that we will support our pastor, love him, help him as he goes along, and that we'll all learn together here and serve you better, Lord. I thank you for his friends and family that travel. I pray that you will give them safety as they travel back and up there where they're going, the earthquakes and different things, Lord, to protect them. And we thank you, Father, for all those that are here at the Western Avenue Baptist Church for keeping this church going. And now, Father, we, we ask that you would bless the rest of our service as we move into our fellowship mode, Lord. I pray for the food that's going to be served, that you would bless it to nourish our bodies. We thank you for all that you've done for us and, and for this great country that we live in. And we ask that you will watch over each and every one of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.